We are live, and thanks for joining us, everybody, here from the KFES uh, Digital News Desk. It's time for By the Bushel, and uh, we've got Barry Bean with us. And I, I, I got to update our, uh, our, our bug here because uh, you're not in Peach Orchard today, um, but uh, you're <laughs> up north, correct? Uh, how, how are things? Well, things are going well. Things are going well. I'm on my way back from a, from a board meeting at Missouri Farm Bureau up in Jefferson City and uh, stopped off here at our satellite office for, for a little while to uh, record this before I head on back. But um, things are going well. Like I say, we just finished our uh, our board meeting at the uh, up, up at the headquarters at the home office of Missouri Farm Bureau and did a wrap-up on the legislative session and uh, picked up several pieces of news that we'll be talking about in the next 30 minutes. All right, excellent. We love to hear it. We love to uh, to get the latest and uh, all that uh, all that's happening. Um, just to start things off then, you know, as usual, we take a look at the, the numbers, what's uh, new with uh, commodities. Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. Let me just hop right over here. And uh, there we go. All right, well, today, um, if you look over here, you can see that uh, cotton was the golden child. Um, July cotton is up 101 points to 83.38, and new crop cotton is at 82.50, that's up 72. The grains are taking it on the chin today with uh, corn down nine and three quarters at uh, 505 and a quarter. Uh, let's see here. We got soybeans down 24 and a quarter at 12.07. Wheat is down 13 and a quarter at 6.47 and a half. And uh, rough rice is down 12 and a half at 15.35. And there's a couple of things to uh, put that in context. One is if you look over here, this is the uh, Dow Jones Industrial Chart, and you can see what it's been doing here for about the last week. And you can see here today's trading, it is continuing to, uh, to sell off. Now, I did look over here to, uh, to use the uh, beans visual indicator test. And uh, when, we, when we look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, we're seeing a lot more red than green. This was a little more mixed uh, earlier in the session. But when you go over here and, and look at some, some of those moves, some of those are fairly substantial. You know, you've got some 2 and 3% sell-offs there. So, uh, so that is moving our macro market um, to the downside. Another thing affecting the uh, grains in a big way is that uh, China has recently canceled a bunch of corn sales. And uh, actually, I picked up a story this morning on the, uh, on the wire from, uh, from Bloomberg. And uh, they're noting that uh, they're expecting China to continue canceling purchases of grain from the U.S. because they can buy soybeans and corn cheaper from Brazil than, uh, than from the U.S. And their, uh, their hog industry is, uh, it is suffering right now. They're they're having they're going through some economic issues in China. China is not really as far past COVID as we are, so they're still seeing some uh, disruptions in their market. Still seeing some supply chain disruption, um, and, and this is of course, you know, doubly interesting because just uh, you know in the last three weeks they've canceled 832,000 tons, despite the fact that before that in March. They purchased almost 4 million tons uh, between March 14th and April 14th. But, uh, you know, now 
U.S. corn is about thirty. It's about thirty dollars a bushel higher than uh, than Brazilian corn. Or some, I'm sorry, thirty dollars a ton. Uh, wouldn't it be great if, if there was thirty dollars a bushel there to uh, to play with? But uh, so so we are looking at the potential for increased uh, cancellations, which of course has folks not wanting to carry those futures um, on into the uh, into the rest of the month. Um, also, it's important to uh, remember that in China. Pork is their primary meat. They they eat pork the way that in the U.S. we eat chicken. Pork is their default meat. And uh, the Chinese pork industry has had some rough years in the past several years. Uh, you know, they're, they're still getting over the African swine fever epidemic that wiped out a huge percentage of their herd, continues to travel around the world a little bit. Fortunately, it is largely under control other than the occasional outbreak here and there, but uh, that is, a, that is a, a going concern. And also, China has a, a corn crop coming up that is looking to be in excellent shape. So, uh, so anyhow, there's a couple of things that could have our grains uh, selling off, as well as these days we can't give this report without mentioning the I and I. And of, of course, I'm talking about inflation and interest rates. Um, you know, at our meeting, I was talking with a couple of farmers of various ages, and uh, you know, they are they are really looking at uh, at those uh, crop loan interest rates and uh, mortgage interest rates, and uh, that, of course, makes makes them squeeze their pennies a lot closer, and that's true of uh, consumers all through, and and then the other thing is, and this is uh, almost as uh, ubiquitous as. Um, as as interest and inflation, and that is the, uh, the Ukrainian war or the Russian war against Ukraine. Uh, the, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've had a lot of talks about the the accord that was going to keep that North Sea uh, shipping channel open to get Ukrainian grain to Europe. Um, there's 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 no guarantee that that is going to stay open, and as fighting has intensified between Russia and Ukraine, obviously that steps up the diplomatic pressure and gives the Russians all the more incentive to try to cut the Ukrainians off uh, completely. Um, and there's so there's a perpetual tug of war there between uh, between the Russians' ability to shut Ukraine off and uh, and on the other hand, world pressure and the threat of sanctions that could make Russian grain and Russian oil, more to the point, a lot less, uh, a lot less valuable to the uh, rest of the world. So uh, let me let me hop back over here and um, rejoin you here. So uh, so there's a couple of things going on, but that uh, that does help explain why maybe the uh, actually there is one other factor I should I didn't didn't mention this to explain why cotton is up today, and that is that I had a I had a, a few bales of my own personal cotton left over that I had held on to frankly far too long. As as you know, I am a cotton merchant. I'm I'm the last cotton buyer in the boot heel and I and I published newsletters and tell people all over the country how they should trade their cotton. And I did not follow my own advice one hundred percent this year, but I did sell the last bit of my own personal cotton yesterday afternoon, uh, which of course meant that we were guaranteed for a rally. Um, if you haven't sold your cotton yet, take take heart. Barry Bean has sold his cotton, so uh, so I expect great prices. I expect to see prices run on up for another four or five cents to uh, punish me for uh, for holding my cotton as long as I did, and then letting it loose uh, when I finally decided to yell, Uncle. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I guess that, that's the way it goes, and uh, w w I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see uh, on that note or on that front. Um, and also, you know, we have here within the state of Missouri the uh, state legislature wrapping up their session on Friday. Um, what's new in the Ag Department as far as legislation goes, as far as impact to farmers goes? Well, it was an exciting session uh, up in Jeff City, uh, or I, I should say it had potential to be an exciting session in Jefferson City. Um, now, the last week, the uh, a caucus that claims it doesn't exist anymore held the Senate hostage, so uh, so very little moved in the last week. But uh, they had uh, 3,000 bills outside of budget bills filed this year, um, and they managed to uh, get 43 across the finish line and sent over to the uh, governor's office for, uh, for Governor Parson to review and either sign or veto. But they did get a lot done, and uh, certainly uh, our hat is off to the men and women, uh, you know, including several several members of uh, leadership that are from uh, here, here in the Channel 12 viewing area. But a um, couple of couple of things of note, uh, especially to farmers and folks in rural areas, in the budget, uh, probably the biggest item is the um, commitment of two point eight billion dollars. That is B with B as in bean uh, billion dollars to uh, expand I seventy to at least three lanes across the whole state. And now you may be asking, why does that matter to a farmer in the boot heel? Yeah, you might even ask, why did that matter? To uh, Senator Lincoln Huff over in Springfield, um, who was the uh, who was the head of the budget committee, but uh, but the fact of it is, um, all these ag products that we produce and a lot of their byproducts either depend on products that are coming across I-70 to get to our farm in terms of fertilizer, in terms of fuel, all sorts of parts that we need for our, for our tractors, our cotton pickers, our combines to run. And also, there is still an awful lot of the Missouri crop and, in fact, the national crop that travels across the country on I-70. You, know, you may remember last week we talked about during the barge shortage there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of traffic that uh, a lot of commodities that traveled to the west coast and some that traveled to the east coast and most of that traveled across I-70 at some point. So that's big news for uh, for agriculture, big news for the economy, big news even for those of us who live 200 miles south of I-70. However, they didn't leave it there. They did set aside $100 million for maintenance and repair of low volume roads. So uh, so this gets into you know, there's a there's still some two lane bridges near near where I live. So that some of that money may make make those uh, back into uh, three or four lane bridges the way the way they should be. Um, also, it was 247 million dollars for broadband infrastructure. This is particularly important as we uh, as we move into precision agriculture and things like self guided tractors. Uh, we use in you know we're, we're looking at different sorts of scouting technologies using automated drones to. Uh, to put out uh, pesticides or, or do scouting for weed populations and pest populations. All that depends on having access to the Internet and access to information. Um, also, uh, $43 million for the uh, construction and renovation of the Veterinary Medical Diagnostic Laboratory at the University of Missouri. This is uh, actually a, a, a national resource up there that, uh, that can help uh, deal with uh, 
things like, you know, earlier I mentioned the African swine fever that nearly wiped out the uh, Chinese swine herd. So this is a, this is some place that when, when these sort of things are, you know, we all know about highly pathogenic avian influenza. This is some place they could study that and uh, do some do some work on that to understand it, analyze it, find it better. Uh, Twenty five million dollars for a meat lab at the University of Missouri. Um, obviously, that's that's huge news for uh, for for uh, livestock producers. One point six six million to support Missouri's black vulture programs, and we'll we'll revisit the black vulture here at the end of the show today. <coughs> Excuse me. $650,000 for the Lower Mississippi River Navigation Feasibility Story. I'm sorry, the Lower Missouri River. Um, again, you know, when we talk about, about river traffic, a lot of those barges that go through here that, that carry our, our boot heel or our, our, our Midwest uh, corn and grains down to, the, down to the Gulf, a lot of those come down to Missouri first. So uh, there's a lot of flooding and a lot of Missouri's prime grain production is uh, along the Missouri River. So that's going to be a big help for that. And, of course, um, ag tourism, an important industry all over our state, and they passed uh, $500,000 for the ag tourism sign grant program. Um, there's, there's some other things. Um, one is that they, they did actually get the uh, agriculture omnibus bill. And, and just a note, and uh, I was, uh, I've, I've been encouraged by a couple of folks to be sure people understand that when we talk about how the legislature only passed 43 bills to the governor's office, be aware that some of those bills include things like these omnibus bills, like the ag omnibus bill. There was actually a, col a collection of 20 or 30 bills that all addressed various agricultural topics that passed as one omnibus. But in some of the horse trading to, uh, to get particular pieces through, they were able to put it all together and pass it as a one lump piece of legislation. So, uh, so when you go from that 3,000 down to that 43, remember there are some of these omnibuses. But um, a couple of things in there are pretty exciting. One is, and this is something that we were uh, we were very uh, supportive of at a uh, Missouri Farm Bureau. This came from uh, House Representative Curtis Gregory, the uh, beginning farmer legislation, which authorizes some tax deductions for landowners who sell, lease, or participate in crop share arrangements with new or beginning farmers. Uh, it's been a big issue in agriculture for years that it's very difficult for young farmers to get started. Um, and because of the tax laws and soaring land prices, there's sometimes a disincentive for older farmers to pass the farm on to the next led, to the next generation. Just makes some of that a little bit easier. We've also got the uh, vet student loan program. Uh, there's, there's a shortage of uh, large animal veterinarians. Uh, a lot of our cattle and hog producers are complaining they simply can't get vets. Uh, so they're having to practice their own medicine in some cases, situations when they don't want to. So they uh, increase the amount of scholarships provided from six to 12 per year and raises the amount from 20 to $30,000 of scholarships. We saw a renewed funding for the biodiesel and ethanol programs. Uh, you know, as we, as we move forward and people uh, get concerned about climate issues, this helps us produce some of our own fuel. And it's a you know, huge shot in the arm to the Missouri economy all the way around to be producing our own fuel here. Uh, the legislation established the Waterways and Ports Trust Fund to maintain and develop ports. Uh, you know, certainly the ports that we have 
here in, in, in Cape Girardeau, down down there where I am in New Madrid and Portageville. Uh, you know, these are these are critical critical parts of the infrastructure for moving uh, moving inputs like fertilizer up from the Gulf and then moving uh, moving grains from Missouri and bordering states down to the Gulf on down. We created the uh, flood resiliency program to uh, to look at uh, areas that flood to find better ways to uh, to be to be a little more resilient there. And uh, we also saw the uh, Missouri Department of Agriculture extend the compliance date pesticide applicator um, training from 2024-2025 to give folks a little more time to work on that. And we increased the weight of local log trucks and log tractors from 105,000 pounds to 109,600 pounds. I cannot tell you what was special about 109,600, but that was a compromise struck between the timber industry, MoDOT, and some of the folks who were who were opposed to that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we saw several things. Uh, one thing that that is uh, not a huge issue here, but it's a very very big issue, especially uh, further north in the areas around St. Louis, around Springfield, around Columbia, some of the places that you have a little bit of conflict between uh, urban populations and their rural agricultural neighbors. Um, Senate Bill 186 um, made it a Class E felony to interfere with the transportation of livestock. Uh, there have been some some unfortunate incidents with, uh, with some animal rights activists who have uh, Basically, resorted to what amounted to acts of terrorism against uh, against producers, and in some cases against the animals, to uh, to try to re reduce the number of animals being transported through Missouri. So, uh, anyhow, that's a a little bit of a summary there of uh, of ag legislation. You know, there there were other things that agriculture was was looking for that that didn't make it to the finish line, but. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of an old adage up in uh, Jefferson City that any piece of legislation worth filing is is worth filing five or six times. So uh, <laughs> we'll we'll we will probably see uh, you know things up. Uh, for instance, uh, you know things like what we call a rofer, uh, which is some right of first refusal language that was going to go into the Public Service Commission um, that that would let Missouri contractors have the first right to. To, to put uh, power lines and when power lines are going to cross agricultural line and and some legislation to to uh, increase the number of people on the public service commission that approves eminent domain requests from uh, from utilities to be sure that there were um, actually some producers and people from around the state and not have them concentrated in a few areas some of those did not make it across the line but i know in, in other cases uh, for instance on a you know on the public service commission you know we have heard that that is going to be first filed in the uh, in the upcoming session so i know that was a lot if if you if you google missouri legislative session i'm sure you can find some updates on and all of that and if you look really hard you may even find somebody who disagrees with my perspective on that just just know that they're wrong but anyhow a lot, a lot of information and uh, and our hats our hats are off to the men and women who uh, who did take the time to go up there and uh, debate and fight and wrestle with each other to uh, to get those 43 pieces of legislation across the finish line. We'll we'll all be watching the uh, governor pretty close here as he uh, as he goes through to see if if any of that gets vetoed and see if we're back here in September to uh, to talk about what's going to happen during veto session. Sure, and uh, yeah, no, the uh, anything worth filing 
adage seems to be. That, I could see that in, in stone or maybe on plaque somewhere, something like that. But uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> um, the, uh, lo looking then along as, um, as we continue, uh, now this, this has to do with California, but it also uh, has gone to the Supreme Court, and that has to do with Proposition 12 um, and this ruling uh, with regards to agriculture and with regards to uh, the pork industry. Can you tell us more about what happened there and what the implications are? Right. Yes, I can. This was a this this was a ruling that came from the Supreme Court, and it came as a bit of surprise to uh, to an awful awful lot of folks uh, involved in agriculture. And uh, basically, uh, they voted five to four, so it was a it was a split decision, not unanimous by any means. Um, earlier last last week, to uphold Proposition Twelve in California. Now. You may wonder what is Proposition 12 and why do we care in Missouri what, what happens in, a, in California? Well, Proposition 12 was a ruling that said any pork product sold in the state of California had, had to be approved that the hogs had been raised under a specific set of rules. And, uh, and these set of rules are are fairly uh, they're, they're fairly expensive and they're fairly outside the norm for the uh, for the pork industry. Um, and actually, I was was looking here. For instance, uh, California consumes 13 percent of all pork produced in the United States, but they produce just one percent. And uh, and even within California. I don't believe I have the number here, but I believe somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 percent of the producers in California actually currently meet the California standards for pork production. The, the thinking by a lot of folks was that this would never pass uh, because it, is, it does raise all sorts of uh, constitutional issues, uh, particularly getting into the Commerce Clause, which says that one state cannot regulate commerce in, in another state, uh, for instance, you know, Missouri can't pa pass a cigarette tax and go apply it on Arkansas or Tennessee, for, for example. Well, in this case, since California actually imports most of, its, uh, most of its port from other states, this opens up the possibility that California inspectors or inspectors working to enforce California law could actually go to other states and inspect um, pork production facilities to be sure that if you are, say, a pork producer in Missouri or Iowa or Illinois, that you are producing your pork in accordance with the standards set in California. Now, I know some people hear this and think, fine, there's 49 other states. If I'm raising pigs in Missouri, I'll only sell them in Missouri or to those other 49 states. Well, the problem with that is that um, most pork goes through a handful of large distributors. And when you sell a pig in Missouri, you're selling it to a, to a pork processor who's then selling it to a major distributor. You don't really know where the final consumer of your pig is going to be. Your pig could be in California. It could be down the road. It could even be in another country. We do export pork. And also at the Canada border and at the Mexico border, you have a lot of hogs and cattle who travel back and forth across that border um, who may be born on one side of the border, they're raised and fattened on, on, on the other side of the border, then maybe they're, they're slaughtered and processed, um, you know, or, or even, even the meat 
uh, you know, a, a distributor in Missouri sells uh, sells a load of pork to a distributor in Ontario, who then later on decides they're going to sell it to uh, California. Well, this California rule, being so broad-reaching, is effectively forcing the entire country to adopt this set. Um, you know, it's going to be a major impact. There's there are sixty thousand pork producers in the United States. So now I didn't count all of them. There could be sixty thousand and one, uh, but uh, this means that they are going to have to uh, go through and either find a way to segregate their pork from pork going to California, which is added expense for and that's for the farmer, for 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 the for the sales lot, for the for the producers. I mean for for the uh, processors. For the distributors and for the grocery, uh, I, you know, I know as you know within within the grocery world, lots sometimes travel back and forth across state lines or national lines several times, and ultimately the the people who will be paying the price tag for that are you and me and everyone listening to this who uh, who eats pork um, or knows anybody who eats pork. So uh, this is going to be it's going to be an expensive proposition, and I think that there's going to be a legislative push back here to see if there are ways legislatively to uh, to deal with this. But um, this is really going to, uh, it, it raises some huge questions. And it's and it's interesting, too, to, uh, to go back and note that this didn't break down along the lines that ordinarily on agricultural issues, you see the uh, conservative justices line up with agriculture, you see the Biden administration um, line up with liberal judges against agriculture and, and they wrestle it out according to uh, how that particular law reads. In this particular case, uh, the Biden administration took the side of pork producers and actually argued at the, uh, at the Supreme Court that no single state should be allowed to excessively disrupt an entire industry. Uh, so, uh, you know, this does have, it has pretty serious implications, not only for pork, but for, for all agricultural products, for all food products, and the specter has been raised that this could potentially um, cause, uh, cause issues with, uh, with hot-button topics like, uh, like guns or abortions or gay marriage, that sort of thing. I mean, that's all, that all remains to be seen, and there's, there's a lot of hand-wringing after any controversial decision that comes out of the Supreme Court. But, uh, but this is so, something that certainly if, you're, if you are a pork producer, you need to immediately be finding out more about this. Talk to uh, talk to your pork organizations. Talk to your state department of agriculture, and be sure that you are in touch with your federal legislators to uh, to stay on top of this and see if there's things that you need to be changing about your operation, either to segregate your products so that they won't be sold in California, or to make your production uh, compliant with uh, California law. So uh, that's a. Uh, that's going to be that's going to be something exciting to uh, to watch as that all shakes out in the uh, months and years going ahead. All right, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we're also looking at uh, the situation as far as uh, rice and uh, Cuba. Um, can you tell us more about what uh, what is going on there? Uh, what's uh, what's the story? Well, actually, this is a, it, it has a little bit of history. I mean, of course, as you know, we had a, we had an embargo against uh, selling anything to Cuba since 1957, and. Um, in 2005, uh, a group of U.S. rice producers and millers traveled down to Cuba as, as part of a uh, trade mission. Actually, there are several folks uh, down here from the boot heel. Um, this was uh, Joanne Emerson was, was on this trip from, from Cape Girardeau. Um, 
a lot of rice producers from Missouri. Major major move from the Missouri rice industry. Uh, you know, under the under the leadership under the legislative leadership of uh, Representative Emerson. Well, they went down and negotiated a deal uh, to to find a way to to get U.S. rice to Cuba and to get it fully approved and basically get around the embargo. Now, this was a, this was a good thing. And, uh, you know, the first shipment um, actually uh, predated that a little bit back in 2001. And, uh, and, you know, in 2004, U.S. rice shipments to Cuba were valued at $64 million. So we were, we were shipping quite a bit of our rice down to Cuba. And it was, it was a good deal for Missouri agriculture, a good deal for, uh, for certainly for Missouri rice and U.S. rice. However, that has since fallen off due to uh, both political, economic, and regulatory uh, affairs. Um, but they did recently have a, a conference in, uh, down in Havana. And uh, I saw here in, in April that the uh, Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs for USA Rice, Peter Bachman, uh, went down as part of a coalition at a conference in Havana organized by the U.S. Agricultural Coalition for Cuba. And uh, Bachman and other USACC representatives met with Cuban importers, including Allen Port and members of the emerging private sector and cooperatives. Uh, you know, there is a growing private industry uh, down there. In, uh, in Cuba, as they get a little bit less uh, government control than they than they used to be, and uh, basically, you know, the, the rule as it stands right now is that there are regulatory pathways that do allow sales to Cuba as long as buyers make the uh, final payment um, in full up front without using any U.S. financing or going through a U.S. bank. And um, you know, in 2022, they did this to uh, to sell 295 million dollars of U.S. poultry to uh, to Cuba. So uh, so right now, Cuba's primary rice supplier is Vietnam. But but this uh, this mission that uh, the USA Rice and and others are uh, are taking on has potential to uh, to to bring. Uh, bring us back to a situation where we could be shipping Missouri cotton to Havana. So it, it, it could go from Haiti to Havana and we're, uh, we're, we're going to knock on wood and uh, hope to, uh, hope to see that happen soon, but exciting news. So something, uh, something positive happening there. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll really hope we see, see a lot more of that in the future. All right. All right. Good, good thing to keep an eye on. Um, and yeah, we're, we're looking then at the end of the show, and uh, I know that we've got a note here about it, almost invasive species, and you mentioned the black <laughs> vultures earlier. Can we, uh, yeah, let's get into the details here. What, uh, what, are we, what are we looking at when we look at these black vultures? Sure. Well, uh, and, uh, now it is worth noting that, yeah, the black vulture is not an invasive species. So this can't really be an invasive species of the week. Um, although if they are invading your farm, uh, they, they certainly can seem pretty, pretty invasive. They are pretty invasive in the way that they in the way that they kill. And uh, they are large predators. They're migratory. So they, they're regulated by U.S. Fish and Wildlife. And, and you can't legally take um, black vultures. Uh, you can't legally shoot them. Uh, they're very difficult to shoot and they're very difficult to get rid of. Um, however, um, in recognition of the fact that they are increasing pressure on livestock producers, uh, particularly during calving season, um, and and they they will they will take uh, they'll take goats, they'll take pigs, they'll take cattle. Uh, they they can attack uh, domestic animals, pets. I've not heard of any uh, attacks on humans. But uh, but certainly uh, smaller mammals and even and even in some cases large mammals they can be a major threat. They can take out a significant portion of a herd. 
So uh, as this pressure has stepped up, this is a good time to remind folks that the USDA has opened up a path that you can get a permit to take black vultures. You do have to document the fact that you are suffering predation from the black vultures on your farm. So this is this is for farmers or people who've got uh, ongoing problems with the black vultures. You can't do this as a preventative measure. But if you can document that, uh, that you have had kills and you've had problems, uh, you can contact the USDA or in Missouri, we are part of a pilot program at Missouri Farm Bureau, and you can contact Missouri Farm Bureau. Either contact your Missouri Farm Bureau office in your local county. We have a program where we actually issue a sub-permit. Um, the USDA has granted us a, a, an umbrella permit, and basically anyone that can come to us and document that they need a permit, we will set them up with a sub-permit that will allow them to take black vultures. And um, contact uh, Farm Bureau. If, 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 if your county office isn't convenient for you, you can also contact Missouri Farm Bureau in Jefferson City at our home office. Ask for uh, Mr. Altoff, and uh, he can certainly help you out. Um, or for that matter, call Bean and Bean Cotton Company. I'll, uh, I'll do what I can to hook you up with the right folks. But uh, anyhow, there's, there is a, a, a species that's it's not invasive, but it's certainly unwanted, and uh, there is a way to, uh, to fight back against them uh, a little bit and uh, keep, them, uh, keep them from being a problem for your, for your domestic livestock. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, Barry, we thank you for being here and sharing all this great information today. Uh, yeah, appreciate your time. All right, always a pleasure, always a pleasure. And to our audience as well, thank you all for being here. Uh, we're going to turn it back over to local news live for now. Stick around, more just around the corner.